Welcome to Booksmart, a podcast where we read and share books that have had a positive influence on our daily lives. Whether it's self-help, success, or something fun, we're here to help you read your way to a better you. I'm Melissa. And I'm Em. And this week we're reading The Four Tendencies, the indispensable personality profiles that reveal how to make your life better and other people's lives better too by Gretchen Rubin. There's no magic, one-size-fits-all answer for building a happier, healthier, more productive life. In The Four Tendencies, Gretchen Rubin reveals the one simple question that will transform what you do at home, at work, and in life. During her multi-book investigation into understanding human nature, Gretchen realized that by asking the seemingly dry question, how do I respond to expectations, we gain explosive self-knowledge. She discovered that based on their answer, people fit into four tendencies, upholders, questioners, obligers, and rebels. Our tendency shapes every aspect of our behavior. So using this framework allows us to make better decisions, to meet deadlines, to suffer less stress, and to engage more effectively. More than 600,000 people from all walks of life have taken her online quiz and used the Four Tendencies framework to make significant lasting change. So, M, why did we read The Four Tendencies? Well, I think it's fair to say that we are Gretchen Rubin super fans. We're not even chill about it. Nope. <laughs> um, she's a fabulous author. Her podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, um, is something that I have re-listened to multiple times. And she has over 200 episodes at this point, And I just re-listened to them because they are so incredibly useful and fun. You've heard all of them? Oh, yes. That's amazing. Multiple times. I've read The Happiness Project, The Four Tendencies, and Better Than Before. Yeah. Uh, I listen to the podcast, not as religiously as you, but I really love listening to them just to hear the little tips that she shares about how to make life a little bit happier. I love that concept. Yeah. I also love sorting quizzes. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? I mean, this is classic Harry Potter stuff right here, but I think people like knowing which house they fall into or which tendency they fall into. And, you know, of course there are exceptions. It's not that we can all be categorized in one single way, but I think it's fun to feel a kinship to a certain identity. It is. And when we know more about ourselves, we're able to figure out how to do life better, right? Mm-hmm. And who doesn't want to do life better? Yeah. <laughs> and I, do you want to share this quote that you put? Yes. Okay. So Gretchen says in her book, there are two kinds of people in the world, those who divide the world up into two kinds of people and those who don't. It just made me laugh because I am firmly in the camp who enjoys dividing the world up into multiple kinds of people. And I'm happy about that. Mm-hmm. Happier, one yeah. might say. <laughs> And I think that this book is great because it's a really easy concept to understand, and we'll dive in in a minute, but it's a helpful, fun framework that I think anybody would benefit from. So I think anybody would really enjoy this book. Yeah. Yeah. Just the key is like self-awareness, self-knowledge is power. Mm -hmm, Exactly. Okay. So let's open the book and get started. So the premise of Gretchen's framework is that everyone falls into one of four tendencies based on how you respond to both outer and inner expectations. And so for outer expectations, that's when you can easily meet expectations or requests that come from other people like family, friends, or your employer. Then for inner expectations, that means that you can easily meet expectations or goals you set for yourself. Things like going to the gym, sticking to a side project, or any other personal endeavors. 
So when you consider both the outer expectations and inner expectations, we'll include this graphic in the show notes, but you can see that four categories emerge. So let's start by talking about upholders. So these are people who respond and can easily meet both outer and inner expectations. So they're a yes checked in both categories. They love rules. They're very disciplined. Uh, You can give upholders very clear instructions. And this is actually the least common tendency, but it happens to be Gretchen's tendency. So reading the books is interesting to hear her reflect on her own upholder tendencies. But for now, we're just doing a quick run through. Upholders can meet both outer and inner expectations. The second tendency is questioner, and they can meet inner expectations, but they struggle to meet outer expectations. So questioners tend to need to see a purpose in everything that they do so that they can make it an inner expectation. And it's really helpful to give them reasons why an expectation is worth meeting so that they can, again, create inner meeting and make it an inner expectation since they do resist outer expectations. Next up, we have obligers. So Em and I are both obligers. Spoiler alert. Represent. Yes. (laughs) This tendency has a hard time meeting inner expectations, but can easily meet outer expectations. So we make very reliable friends and coworkers, but for inner goals, it's really challenging often for us to meet those. And so accountability is key, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But Obligers are actually the most common tendency, so it's not that surprising that both of us are falling into this tendency. And finally, rebels. Rebels resist meeting both inner and outer expectations. They want choices to be within their control, so it's best to give them options and let them decide. So those are the four tendencies, and if you want to figure out which tendency is most closely aligned for you, you can actually take the quiz online and we'll include a link in the show notes at booksmartpodcast.com slash one. Now, um, what do you think about these four? Is it that you belong to one and not really the other three? Is it a spectrum? I know all quizzes are kind of different. So do you want to just add in some kind of PSs onto the quiz? Yeah. So there are a couple of PSs, which I think um, Gretchen covers well in the book. And the first is that A small part of us is each tendency. So we may feel most comfortable fitting in one of them. Um, We'll also talk a little bit later about how we all tip in the direction of another tendency, but also a small part of us is each one. Um, And then also our personalities affect how we sort of function as our tendency as well. Mm -hmm. And I think a big important takeaway for this personality assessment and really any assessment is that this is only about one specific thing. This is only about how you react to inner and outer expectations. So it has nothing to do with, for example, like what motivates you to do work or what are you passionate about? It's strictly about responding to inner and outer expectations. So it's a specific lens and I think a helpful one. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's a nice segue. So once you've taken this quiz, you know which tendency you are. How is this like helpful. I think anytime you know more about yourself, the better you're able to function in the world. And the same, the more we know about other people, the better we're able to collaborate and communicate with them. I think it's also so true that the people who have figured this out, they know which tendency they are, they tend to be happier, as Gretchen Rubin would say herself, um, but also more productive. Because if you know your tendency, like you're saying, this knowledge is power, so you can use it to your advantage. You can really play to your strengths and kind of figure out how to counteract your own weaknesses. Absolutely. I think it's helpful to understand, too, that the more we know about others and their tendencies, that like their behavior is not necessarily 
aimed at us personally. Sometimes if we don't quite understand why somebody is making a decision or communicating with us the way they are, it's easy for us to take that personally. But when we know more about them, it helps us to sort of take a step back and and see them through this lens also. That was a huge help for the book because not only do you learn about your own tendency, but within each section about each of the four, Gretchen does talk about how to deal with a spouse or a kid or a friend or a partner, a coworker, anyone else who might be of that tendency, even if you aren't. So I really appreciated that within this book, not only are you learning about yourself, but you're learning to understand why other people might behave differently from yeah. you. And it's also worth pointing out that there's no right tendency. There's no wrong tendency. It's just who we are. Yeah, I think that's huge because we'll talk about this, but I'm a pretty begrudging obliger. I wish I was a different tendency, but I have to remind myself that all the tendencies are just different choices. It's not that there's a ranking. Yeah. Between. We all have strengths and weaknesses. And the point is that we can embrace and harness the strengths of our tendency and then learn to sort of cover the blind spots of our tendency. So let's start by talking about our own tendency. We are both obligers. So how do you think people would know if they're an obliger? For me, I think what I started to notice is that at work, it's always been very easy for me to hit most of my deadlines that come from a boss or from a team, and I always feel this obligation, which I think where the word comes from, um, to be a great team member and to not drop the ball. And it's not difficult for me to show up and to be a great coworker. But I've had a hard time committing to things like going to the gym. Like that was a big thing for me is anything that's just for myself is almost a medium priority behind things I could be doing for other people. So that was a hint for me that I thought I was probably an obliger even before I took the quiz. I think for me, I notice it most when a request comes in from someone else and I almost instantly want to fold my own goals for myself. So if a um, request comes in from a client that needs something quickly or a friend wants to have dinner and I had plans to go to yoga or like in the client example, I might have dedicated that day to a different project, but I really want to help her out. It's really hard for me to let go of what I had planned for myself and not to give in to what the like outside expectation is. Mm -hmm. I think the most telling obliger-y thing that I do is not even canceling for other people, but sometimes I'll want to go to yoga, I'll want to eat something healthy, and then I'll be like, Bah, who, needs, <laughs> who needs that? Like, I'll just totally, for absolutely no reason or any obligation, just not do it. And it might seem illogical, especially to any listeners who are questioners or upholders, because they don't have this issue meeting inner expectations. Mm -hmm. But for me, it doesn't even make sense to say it out loud. But sometimes I just decide, like, eh, better not. And then that's it. <laughs> that happens to me too. I relate to it like as an obliger. And then I also think that because I tip to upholder, sometimes that doesn't happen to me as much because I have, which we'll talk about later, some like very high standards for myself that come from that upholderness that prevent me from ordering pizza when I actually am going to have salad for dinner. Like I already mm -hmm. have a like a system built in place to prevent that buckling. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you and I were both obligers, and a big struggle we have is meeting these inner expectations and. Probably the biggest takeaway for obligers in the book is that what we need is accountability. We need a way to make our inner expectations outer expectations and to tie it to someone or something else. Right. And so those can look like 
tools like supervision, late fees, deadlines. It can even be working with a coach or a therapist or just other consequences that are enforced from the outside. All of those things end up being outer accountability that help us to meet the goals and do the behavior that we want to be doing. So what accountabilities do you use? I use so many. (laughs) So A, like I love working with people. Like I have a career coach, a wellness coach. I worked with therapists in the past. I love working with outside experts that really holds me accountable to the growth that I want. I also use my calendar like it's my job. Like I schedule out um, every project that I have. And so when I wake up, I like instead of thinking like Gretchen Rubin says, what must I do today and for whom? I already know because I've already charted it out on my calendar. So I don't have to wake up and think like, what fires do I need to put out or who's asking me for what? I already know exactly what I'm going to do. So I keep myself accountable to meet the deadlines and do the work that I've committed to by, by scheduling it. It's so interesting because she mentions that accountability could be a calendar, a to-do list, or for some people it might be a person, it might be a client, it might be like for me, something that helped was signing up for yoga classes versus just saying, I'm going to go to the gym at some maybe indeterminate never time. I do that too. In the afternoon or the next mm-hmm. previous day, I, I sign up on the app so that I've committed to going. Yeah. And late fees are real deterrents for me. Yeah. But what I found is that my calendar almost means nothing. Oh. Like I've tried what you're doing, which is scheduling things on a calendar. And I will just, this is horrible. I'll just look at it and say like, I could skip that and then I just don't do it. (laughs) I will say it is easier for me to move and skip things that are commitments to myself. For example, Mm -hmm. I have a walk in my day every workday at 1 or 2 p.m., especially in the winter. I want to go outside and get some vitamin D, stretch my legs. And I often end up moving that walk or deleting it. Again, knowing I'm going to go to yoga or take an exercise class that night, so I'm getting some kind of exercise, but it's a part of my day that I really enjoy, and it's really good for me mentally and physically, and I move it. So the accountabilities in my calendar to other people tend to be the ones that stick, but yeah. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And I have had some success with different task list apps or different methods like that in the past. Something about seeing all the things I need to do in one place versus putting them on a calendar. I don't know. I go back and forth. But I think for any obligers listening, something might work for you. It might not. The different ways we hold each other accountable are very different from what would work for one person versus the next. Yeah. The key is to experiment and figure out what actually works for you. Yeah. I think, too, something that I wish that I had is a friend to go with me to yoga classes. Mm. Like sometimes even just having it on the schedule isn't quite enough Mm -hmm. because I can still cancel. Mm -hmm. But if I knew I was meeting up with somebody, then that's an extra level of accountability. Yeah. Probably a fellow obliger would benefit from that. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Gretchen talks a lot about having an accountability partner and how beneficial that is to obligers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then with every tendency, there are challenges. There are just different things to kind of be self-aware of. We've talked about a few, like this need for accountability is huge, but what do we wish that other people knew about us? I almost don't want them to know what obligers need because I don't want them to be able to like manipulate me. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I really bristle when somebody tries to place accountability on me. And maybe that is me as an upholder, uh, like tipping in that direction, not wanting that, feeling like I've already put the pressure on myself. But maybe it's me also as an obliger, just being extra sensitive to the fact that I will uphold outer expectations. And I don't want people dumping them on me. I know. I think that's a big one. It's so easy for us to say yes to other people, harder for us to say yes to ourselves. And so maybe just a little 
compassion from other people just to understand that it is different and harder for certain people it's not the same for all of us yeah we should all have compassion for each other's differences yeah Yeah. just obligers just acknowledging that all of us have different needs definitely that's a great one so before we move on to the other three tendencies do you want to sum up what the strengths and possible challenges are for obligers like us definitely so some of the likely strengths of obligers are that they are good bosses, responsive leaders, and team players. They feel great obligation to meet others' expectations. They're responsible. They're willing to go the extra mile, and they respond to outer accountability. Okay, maybe I'm a jaded obliger, <laughs> but none of these sound like strengths. <laughs> these sound like I'm a happy dog to meet my owner's joy and just to like greet them at the door and be like, oh my god, you exist. I hear, I'm here to serve. Until you fall over from exhaustion. Until I fall over from exhaustion. <laughs> I know. One of our strengths is that we feel great obligation to meet others' expectations. That does not sound like a fun strength to me. No. I'm trying to think of what I would say the strengths are. I do think being an obliger makes me a very reliable coworker, a very loyal friend. Mm-hmm. I do think there are a lot of benefits to easily meeting outer expectations. Yeah. So there are definitely strengths. I, I see a lot of challenges, which I know we're about to talk to next. But right. Let's, let's, just, let's just dive into the negative. Let's just do it. <laughs> so possible weaknesses of the obliger. Susceptible to overwork and burnout may show the destructive pattern of obliger rebellion were exploitable, oh, no. <laughs> may, become, <laughs> may become resentful, and has trouble saying no or imposing limits. Womp womp. These are, these are all so relatable. Yeah, I know. It is tough. I think the burnout is real because I do want to be known. I mentioned reliable as a strength, but on the opposite end, I, I don't want to let things fall through. I don't want to let other people down. Um, so it is often hard for me to not choose burnout instead of not getting the job done. Yeah, because it feels like sometimes on the flip side, the other thing to choose is resentment at mm-hmm. others for placing accountabilities on us that we willingly accept. <laughs> right. And I think it's not that there's only two options. It's not burnout or bust. There's a world where you can say no more and that somebody else can pick up the work. Like it's not just this will happen or everything will go to hell. Yeah. And it's maybe it's no, not this time, or no, I can't today. However, tomorrow, that would be no problem for me. Mm -hmm. I do think resentment is real too that we're Mm -hmm. talking about where if people ask a lot of me and I feel like it's not reciprocated, like if somebody wants a lot from me, but it doesn't feel like they're offering me a lot in return as either a coworker or a friend, I carry that around. Like, yeah, I'm going to do the stuff you asked me to because I feel obligated, but I don't forget about it. Yeah. Not so much a grudge, just I want it to feel balanced. Yeah, yeah. And it can feel exhausting to just do, do, do for others. That's where I think self-awareness really comes in. That's the beauty of this book is that the more we know about ourselves, the more we can harness our strengths and then counteract our weaknesses. Mm-hmm, 100%. Well, we've talked about our tendency. Let's talk about the other three. So the next tendency we're going to talk about is the upholder tendency, and that's the tendency where M tips. So before we talk about the strengths of the upholder, I want to talk about what tipping towards one tendency means. So if you look at the graphic in our show notes at booksmartpodcast.com slash one, you'll notice that there are these overlapping circles. So as an obliger, I meet outer expectations, but I resist inner expectations. So 
we share one of those aspects with upholders. We both find it easy to meet outer expectations. So Emma's going to talk about upholders since that's the direction that she tips. On the other hand, we share a commonality or an overlap in the circles with rebels because we both have a hard time meeting inner expectations. So I tip towards rebel. I'm not super stoked about it. <laughs> but as we move through the other tendencies, we're going to start with upholder. And maybe, M, do you want to read off the strengths of upholders? Definitely. So some of the likely strengths of an upholder are that they are self-starters and self-motivated. They're conscientious, reliable, thorough. They stick to a schedule and they are eager to understand and meet expectations. They tend to uh, really love schedules and routines. They tend to be intrigued by rules. Um, and often they sort of search for the rules behind the rules, like the greater meaning. Um, and Hermione Granger is one of the examples that Gretchen Rubin shares as sort of a standard upholder. So she like does her homework, um, abides by the rules, wants to do things right. But then she also has no problem acting in the face of rules that she believes are not serving something larger um, that she really values. For example, like acting against the Ministry of Magic to fight evil Voldemort. Yeah. He who must not be named. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's such a good distinction because even though upholders can easily meet outer and inner expectations, it's not as though these people are pushovers who would just walk off a cliff because you told them They're not to. blindly doing it. Exactly. They still need to see some kind of logic. But generally speaking, if you ask them to do a task, they will accomplish it. It's all very systematic. Yeah. One of the things that I really like about them is that they rarely suffer from resentment or burnout because they are able to identify what is an inner expectation or outer expectation that they need to meet or not. And so they're able to say no more readily. And I think that's something that I really wish I embodied more of as an obliger that tips to upholder. But I think that's a quality worth working toward. And obviously, upholders have some potential weaknesses as well. And some of those include uh, being defensive or rigid. Um, they often struggle when plans or schedules change. They can seem humorless and uptight. Uh, they get uneasy when rules are ambiguous or undefined. They can be impatient when others need reminders, deadlines, supervision, or discussion. They can be demanding, and they may become anxious about obeying rules that don't even exist. I really relate to a lot of their potential weaknesses. Is there any in particular? Yeah, defensive, rigid. I struggle when plans or schedules change. I can be uptight. Do you have an example of when plans are changed, how does that make you feel? So, yeah. So if I have an evening planned with friends and I'm really excited about it and let's say we were all going to hang out at a friend's house and do a potluck dinner and somebody says, oh, you know, I'd really rather go out. It just makes me feel unsettled because I have prepared myself for an evening in at my friend's cozy house and having intimate conversation. I've probably already made the hummus and the carrots or whatever my contribution was to the potluck meal a day ago because I'm a planner. Um, and so when I feel like things change, I have to totally recalibrate and it's uncomfortable to do that. Mm -hmm. And the expectations of that event Mm -hmm. have now changed. Right. I want to know what they are, and then I'm prepared to meet them. And then when they shift, I got to do a whole bunch of stuff to meet the next set of expectations. Mm -hmm. We also looked in the better community. So Gretchen Rubin has this online community where people who have read her books, taken her online courses, taken the Four Tendencies quiz, they can participate in a forum discussion, and they post regular prompts in there. It's a great community. And there was one question that asked, 
what is your biggest challenge based on your tendency. So because we are both obligers, we wanted to get some other voices to represent the other tendencies. And here are a few that we found from upholders. So one upholder said that their biggest challenge is trying not to push my upholder expectations on others. Now, this one really stood out to me because upholders just have no issue meeting any of these expectations. So I'm sure it must be frustrating for them when other people around them are having a hard time. Like even I'm imagining if it's a husband or a wife, like Gretchen Rubin is an upholder. And if her questioner husband isn't doing something that they both know is good for his health or good for him and he's not doing it, Gretchen could feel frustrated about that expectation because she, as an upholder, can't quite see why it's not happening. Absolutely. So this upholder said that their biggest challenge is setting high expectations of myself and others that are sometimes unrealistic and then being disappointed or frustrated when those aren't met. Knowing that they're able to meet expectations, it makes sense that sometimes those expectations might get quite high um, to the point of being unrealistic and then they would naturally feel disappointed and hard on themselves when they weren't able to meet them. Mm -hmm. And this is the only group that has two sets of expectations that they're meeting. Mm. Like we obligers, we're only doing the outer expectations. Like we don't have time for inner expectations. (laughs) But upholders, they're doing both inner and outer, which is just a lot of expectation. Yeah, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. So I can see how there would be very high expectation and uh need to complete all of the things that they want to do for themselves or for others. Yeah. No wonder they end up getting criticized as being rigid. Mm -hmm, (laughs) They're getting a lot done. That is a great point. So we've covered now two of the tendencies. And the next one we're going to talk about is the rebel tendency. (sighs) Only one of us is excited about this. (laughs) So rebels have a hard time meeting both outer and inner expectations. So some likely strengths of a rebel is that they are independent-minded, able to think outside the box, unswayed by conventional wisdom, willing to go his or her own way to buck social conventions, in touch with his or her authentic desires, and they're spontaneous. I mean, come on. Those are some incredible strengths. What I admire most about the rebel tendency is that I think there's a lot of independent thinking Mm. going on for rebels. And a big part of this tendency, as I understand it from the book, is that they have to really believe in something or see why it's happening. They share that a bit with questioners. But it's not all rebel without a cause. And in fact, Gretchen talks about how rebels often need a cause, truly, to be able to sort of fight for meeting those outer and inner expectations. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I think the word rebel without any context just kind of has an interesting connotation of like, punching through walls and like, yeah. I'm going to do what I want and like Ferris Bueller's day off and just like <laughs> who needs rules, whatever. But this isn't really about that. This is just you are not following just because you were told to follow. Yeah. And that's why I'm a little bit jealous that you are an obliger who tips to a rebel because as an obliger who tips to an upholder, it's all about rules for me. And so there's something that sounds so liberating about just doing it your own way and having the freedom to do that. There are just a lot of times where If I don't see a reason to do something, I will not do it. I have no hesitation in just saying, you know what, this doesn't matter and moving on. And the reason why I don't love it is because it takes a toll on the inner expectations I wish I could follow through with better. So if it's cold out and I don't want to walk to yoga, I'll be like, "Uh, it's cold. I don't understand why I would go outside at a time like this. And then I just won't do it. 
So you, do you ever feel like your rebel tendency helps you sort of fight off the outer expectations that come with the obliger tendency? I do think that's the real benefit because although I'm not a questioner, which we'll talk about next, I do feel more comfortable saying no than many obligers might. Hmm. For example, if I'm at work and I'm tasked with something, I need to make sure I understand why it's happening and that it's actually important before I commit to it. And I also think I'm less prone to burnout because I've noticed that if I take on too much work, I'm not doing any good work at all. Hmm. So I think the questioning mindset of a rebel has been really useful for me. And I've never been a huge fan of, we've always done it this way, so let's Mm -hmm. keep doing it that way. So I think as a businesswoman and somebody leading a team, being a rebel helps me kind of cut through the noise and make sure I'm only listening to what's important. But it's almost like it amplifies the good qualities of responding to my outer expectations. And then it amplifies the challenging parts of being an obliger for my inner expectations. That's how being an obliger who tips to an upholder works for me too, because it does amplify my ability to meet both outer and inner expectations. So I love that it helps me meet inner expectations, but it can be tricky and it can lead to burnout when it's also reinforcing my desire as an obliger to meet outer expectations. Hmm, That makes a lot of sense. Do you want to share some of the challenges of the rebel tendency? Definitely. So some of the possible weaknesses of the rebel are they are likely to resist when asked or told to do something. They can be uncooperative or inconsiderate. They have trouble accomplishing tasks that need to be done consistently the same way every time. They can act as though ordinary rules don't apply. They can be restless. They might find it difficult to settle down in a job, relationship, or city. They struggle with routines and planning, and they may be indifferent to reputation. Yeah, I'm not a full rebel, so I relate partially to some of these. But the two that really stand out are feelings of being restless. If I feel bored or if I don't know why I'm in a certain job or relationship, but job speaks to me more here, I'll leave. Like, I won't have any hesitation Mm -hmm. about getting out of that situation. I don't feel any obligation Mm. to please the people in that job if I don't feel like it's serving me. The other one that really hits home for me is resisting when somebody asks me to do something. And this comes up in two ways. One is if you ask me to do something and your title is higher than mine, I'm not going to do it just because you are my superior. You need to have earned my respect and then I'll, you know, follow you very loyally. But I do not respond well to somebody just because they're more senior than me. I Mm. need you to talk to me like I'm a human as well. Mm -hmm. Although it's framed as a potential weakness. Again, I think that's a huge strength of a rebel as well. Mm hmm. I do also want to include a couple of the comments from the better community. So one rebel said, as a rebel, I struggle to form new habits unless there's a very serious reason why I want to accomplish the habit. I often cheat telling myself just this one time and end up spiraling out of the habit. This is so relatable for me. I feel like this concept of, oh, I can cheat. This one time is fine. I don't know, maybe more obligers will also resonate with this, but that to me is a common occurrence, unfortunately, in my brain. The, oh, just this once. Right. And then it all goes down the drain. Totally. Another rebel said, there are so many possibilities. It's hard to decide what I want to do. When I try to do everything I want, I set myself up for feeling overwhelmed. What I think is most interesting about this rebel's challenge is that we mentioned that upholders have the most expectations. They're dealing with outer and inner. They can meet both of them. Rebels, in a lot of ways, 
have the most to think about because they have to decide if they want to meet every single expectation and that could feel exhausting. Mm -hmm. So this makes a ton of sense to me because they probably have all of these different pros and cons to weigh and do I want to do this and do I feel a reason and do I feel pulled towards that more than any other tendency. Mm. There's one last rebel comment to share. They said that their challenge is feeling out of step with the world. Things I find to be blatantly obvious have other people looking at me like I've got two heads. I'm often right, but I think my framing is very different from non-rebels. So again, this kind of brings us back to the creative thinkers, the seeing the world in a different way, the I won't follow a path just because I see it in front of me. I think that's a real double-edged sword for rebels where it's a huge plus, I think, that they are able to see things differently. And I bet a lot of very creative visionaries could be rebels. Yeah. On the other hand, it must be very frustrating, and I've actually felt this way before, where I see an idea so clearly in my mind, and I don't get why it's not clicking with other people. Yeah, or even just feeling somewhat lonely because you're out of step with the world, because you're doing things in such a different way that others just don't get it. Mm-hmm. I think there are probably ways that each tendency feels a different kind of lonely. Hmm. And so this is the one for rebels in the way that for upholders, they don't understand why a lot of us have different types of challenges. Right. Not in a mean way. It's just totally different from how they think. Now we have one more tendency to cover, but before we get into that, let's take a quick break. Audible has the world's largest selection of audiobooks and original ad-free audio shows. Whatever your passion, your interests, or favorite authors, there's a perfect listen for you. The Audible app makes it easy to listen to your books wherever you are at home, in the car, or at the gym. Even if you switch devices, you'll never lose your place. With our special promo code, you get 30 days of membership free, plus a book to get you started. In addition to our favorite self-help and personal development books, you can also find anything from fantasy to finance. To unlock your free membership, visit audibletrial.com booksmart. All right, we've arrived at the last tendency, the fourth one, and that is the questioner tendency. Now, being an obliger means that our circle doesn't overlap with the questioner tendency. But we, of course, have Gretchen Rubin's book, and we have some members of the better community to help us understand this last tendency. So a quick recap, questioners have no trouble meeting inner expectations, which is why we don't understand them at all. <laughs> um, but they do struggle meeting outer expectations. Some likely strengths of the questioner is that they are data-driven. They're fair-minded, according to his or her own judgment. They're interested in creating systems that are efficient and effective. They're willing to play devil's advocate. They're comfortable bucking the system if it's warranted. They are inner-directed, and they are unwilling to accept authority without justification. I think questioners sound like badasses, too. I know. I used to think that I was a questioner. I think the only reason I know that I tip into obliger is because I have such a hard time with those personal inner inner expectations and those things that are really just for me. Hmm. I think in a lot of my work, I might appear to be a questioner to others because I'm very data-driven and I ask a lot of insightful questions. But again, those are all outer expectations. Everything about work is an outer expectation. Mm -hmm. So what's interesting to me about questioners, and I have a couple of friends who are questioners, is they'll stick to a fitness routine and effortlessly commit to a five-day-a-week regime. Right, because they've done the research, they know it makes sense, and so they just make it an inner accountability and they have no problem handling it. Exactly. I think that's what's most interesting about questioners is 
they will ask questions. They want to know why something is happening, whether it's inner or outer. But the reason I think it takes a little more work is because if it's an inner expectation, they've already decided it's worthwhile. Mm -hmm. So the big difference is that if somebody else asks something of a questioner, they just need to find a way to internalize it. They need to make sure that it makes sense for them. That's why the data-driven concept is in there, because they want the data Mm -hmm. to support the fact that whatever they're doing is worth their time. Mm -hmm. They tend to ask a lot of questions of others, of the data, of research, of themselves, in order to get to what they decide is the best outcome or the thing that they need to be doing. And so the flip side of that is that they frustrate people and frustrate themselves sometimes. Mm -hmm. What are some of the other weaknesses or challenges that questioners face? So their possible weaknesses are that they can suffer from analysis paralysis. Uh, They can be impatient with what he or she sees as others' complacency. They have crackpot potential. (laughs) I'm sorry, what? (laughs) I think that just means like they're the type of people that can become like real oddities. But how did only this tendency get that? Yeah, I feel like we all have every tendency has the potential to become a crackpot. Yeah. (laughs) There must have been something in the chapter. We're reading this from the recap. Yeah, potentially. You'll have to read the book to find out more about the crackpot (laughs) tendency of this tendency. (laughs) Find the crackpot Easter egg in the book. Mm Exactly. Other possible weaknesses are that they are unable to accept closure on matters that others consider settled if questions remain unanswered. They also may refuse to observe expectations that others find fair or at least non-optional, like traffic regulations. And they may also resist answering others' questions. That's interesting that they wouldn't want to answer somebody else's questions. Right, because they find it like tiresome because they've already done the work to figure out why something is or should be. And so they don't want to be questioned and to reliving that experience, I think. So it's almost like if they have already found the solution, then questions are unnecessary. Right. Chapters closed on that. Yeah, exactly. We also got some quotes from questioners in the better community. So this questioner said, as a questioner being seen as accusing or a problem or people being defensive because I ask a lot of questions can be seen as a challenge. When I was young, this was seen as challenging authority. Now as a grown-up, it can be seen as annoying. Fortunately, in my job, I have to ask a lot of questions so that works. What I like about this is that this person clearly has identified that they ask a lot of questions and it seems like they have found a job where that is a strength for them. I love that too, because they're clearly in a position where they are valued for asking questions. Mm -hmm. And I know that's a big struggle we saw with a lot of the community members is that their question frequency tends to irritate a lot of people Mm -hmm. because people in the other tendencies maybe don't ask as many questions. And so it's seen as annoying. Mm -hmm. And similarly, this other questioner said people can become offended when they're questioned. So others feel that they're being challenged constantly by questioners who ask questions. Yeah, that's the one that I think is so interesting because questioners just see it as data gathering, but other tendencies may see it in this offensive way, but it's not meant to be personal. It's not about you, the person being asked the question. They're just trying to get information. Right. So that's probably a good takeaway for other tendencies is that if you know you're dealing with a questioner, it's just their way of evaluating almost verbally instead of evaluating in their brain like maybe we do. Right. I think that's a great way to think about it. And again, that's how the tendencies can help us communicate better with others and collaborate better with others when we know where they're coming from. Definitely. So those were the four major tendencies we covered. Upholders, questioners, obligers, and rebels. So I know, and we've talked about this, but a big takeaway in the book is figuring out 
if I have a questioner as a sister, if I have an obliger as a partner, how can understanding their tendency improve our relationship? And that was the big takeaway for me was just to think about, okay, if I know I'm dealing with a questioner, what can I do better to work with them? Right. You can help them gain more information up front about the topic at hand or the decision that you're both making. Exactly. So I'm a department manager. And now, just as an example, if I knew one of my employees was an upholder, I would give extremely clear direction. Mm. I would give extremely clear deadlines. I would ask them what kind of support they need. And then I would move on. And I know that they would come back to me. Mm -hmm. If I was talking with a questioner, I would probably outline everything that we're doing and I would be really clear about why it was important. Why does this task or this project influence the company? And then I would make sure to leave, of course, time for them to ask me questions. Yeah. Let's see. If I was dealing with an obliger like myself, I would probably be similarly clear about expectations as I was with the upholder, but I would also push a little bit harder to say, is there any part of this project that feels stressful to you exactly or I might try to push back and say what does your bandwidth look like right now yeah and I would just want to make sure that I was proactive about making sure they had the time to do it instead of just saying here you go because unlike upholders who would tell me they don't have the time I would want to be aware that maybe an obliger wouldn't be as upfront right so I would need to do a little bit more yeah to protect them from that burnout yeah and then with rebels I think it's all about choice so I would probably go to them and present them with a goal I would say something like our goal is to grow this or to create something. And then I might say, I have a couple of ideas like X or Y, but how would you approach this problem? Mm -hmm. So I would be really clear that I'm giving them a goal, but not a specific step-by-step guide about how to do it the way I gave an upholder a very clear step-by-step guide. Mm -hmm. I think those are fabulous examples. Thank you. I try to be a good manager. (laughs) I actually don't know in thinking about the team members that I have now, Mm -hmm. I'm as a next step, kind of curious to maybe think about what tendencies might apply to each one of them and to see if that could help me better serve them. All right. So before we wrap, Em, how do you plan to carry this book with you into the future? So I love becoming more self-aware. And one of the things that I loved about this book, beyond how I can bring my own awareness into communicating better with friends and clients is how to be more aware of like the darker sides of my tendency as an obliger tipping to upholder. And there are two uh, sort of bad habits that kind of threaten my wellness from both the obliger side and the upholder side. And um, obliger rebellion is a pattern that tends to happen to obligers when they are meeting and meeting and meeting outer expectations and they get so burned out, they just sort of flip out and they can't do it anymore. And um, apparently this can happen on a huge scale, like somebody just getting so burned out, they quit their job or in little small ways. And so it tends to affect me in smaller ways, but I'll get to a point where I just feel so exhausted that I need to just cancel my entire weekend's worth of plans rather than just giving myself more time prior to that point of burnout. And now that I'm aware of it, I know how to act prior to it happening so that it doesn't happen or it happens on a much, much more minor scale that uh, doesn't affect my life very negatively. I think that's a great takeaway. It's almost like, because I had this thought reading too, that when I feel burnt out or very stressed, it's almost like my tendency goes out the window in favor of just survival mode. Yes. And when I was reading, I do identify as being an obliger, but I have felt at certain times that my tip into rebel 
is a bit stronger or might tip into questioning why things are going on is a bit stronger. And I think it's a sign of burnout or stress. Yeah. And so obliger rebellion, I think, makes a lot of sense because that's a tendency very prone to taking on a lot of work. Absolutely. The other dark side of an upholder is a pattern that's called upholder tightening. And it's when that sort of love of schedules and routines starts to act against the upholder and it can become harder and harder for them to make an exception or take a break or sort of lighten up from those schedules and routines they've built into their life that serve them so well to be able to meet both outer and inner expectations. And again, just knowing that it's called tightening makes so much sense to me. I actually caught myself saying to a friend yesterday, I need to loosen my death grip on life. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It's because lately I have a busy schedule. I have things that I want to get done that are really important to me. And they're across the gamut. It's work, it's play, it's my health, it's my friends. And I want all of those things to fit into my life. And I definitely have created habits and routines so that they all fit in. But if I'm not a little bit flexible, for example, yesterday morning, I usually go to an 8.15 a.m. exercise class, Saturday morning. And so that means on a Friday night, I want to go to bed early because I want to feel strong so that I'm when I'm on a rowing machine for 45 minutes, I can do it and I can feel good about myself. But I had to let go of that yesterday morning because I just really wanted to sleep in. I knew that would serve me better than holding on to that thing in my calendar that was also important to me. Mm -hmm. That sounds too like almost a case of competing expectations. Mm -hmm. Like you acknowledge that your body needed sleep and you know that your body needs exercise and you also have habits to maintain there's a lot of different things that you might want to do all at once yeah you're busy woman (laughs) (laughs) i'm loosening my death grip on life actively i'm loosening it right now Mm -hmm. perfect (laughs) great start to 2019 (laughs) how about you melissa how are you going to carry this book with you in the future I think I have often resisted accountability. Hmm. I know I've mentioned that attending things like pre-scheduled classes have been really useful for me versus just saying I'll go to the gym and there's no set time on that. But the rebel in me will say, hey, you'll go if you sign up for a class. So don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) It's like this evil voice in my head of like, you know, it'll work. So just don't. (laughs) Um, But this year... I've already signed up for yoga classes through an entire month. Okay. So I'm trying to be more serious about getting back into that commitment swing. I also know that podcasting alone would have been very tough for me. And I've done a podcast before, which was interview style. So I'm still obligated to show up because somebody else will be there. And What's great about podcasting actually is that if you commit to a schedule, I felt like I was accountable to listeners. Mm. So it's less even about the fact that we're in a room together, although that makes it way easier having a co-host and having both of us participating in the prep for these episodes. Mm -hmm. Like who knows if I would have prepped anything (laughs) or recorded anything at all without knowing that you were going to show up in my home studio to do this (laughs) recording. But the commitment to listeners is actually a really huge helpful piece of accountability for me. So I think in 2019, I'm going to find more ways to be accountable and to not let myself off the hook about letting accountability happen. Yeah, you're going to game your own system. I am. And I also noticed that, for example, putting calendar blocks didn't work for me because I could just snooze them. Mm -hmm. But I have a new 
to-do app called Things that's been working really Mm. well for me where you highlight the things you want to do today. And it's helped me be more realistic about the number of things I can accomplish in a day. Awesome. And so I think maybe that's part of why the calendar system didn't work is because if I felt overwhelmed, I would just cancel. Mm -hmm. But in this case, it's a little bit easier to prioritize. So maybe that new approach and feeling accountable to an app that feels good for me will also be a form of accountability. Yeah. A form of accountability that's also protecting you as an obliger by showing Mm -hmm. you what's actually realistic is fantastic to have. Yeah, exactly. And I've tried a ton of different task managers. I happen to really like this one. I'll put a link in the show notes if anybody else is curious to check it out. I did finally bite the bullet and pay for this one. Whoa. Whoa. Um, But I've really enjoyed the fact that it includes reminders. That's a big thing for me in terms of accountability is that app bothering me about doing stuff. So in a way that a calendar event didn't work, this app has been more useful for me. At the end of every episode, we give you something that you can try from the book. So this week, our prompt, of course, is to take the four tendencies quiz. You can find a link to Gretchen's quiz in our show notes at booksmartpodcast.com slash one. Plus, if you take the quiz, we would love to know your tendency. We'd love to know what you thought about the book in general. So definitely email us with your results at hello at booksmartpodcast.com. Thanks for joining us this week. To learn more about the four tendencies or to take the quiz, visit booksmartpodcast.com slash one, the number one. We've also included highlights from this episode if you'd like a quick recap. And don't forget, once you've taken the quiz, we'd love to hear about it. Let us know if you found this framework helpful by emailing us at hello at booksmartpodcast.com. Lastly, we do have a quick favor to ask. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love to ask you for a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Reviews let Apple know that great listeners like you are enjoying our show, and that helps us expand our reach in search results. Plus, we really appreciate the feedback. We'd love to know what you'd enjoy hearing about more in the future. Thanks again for joining us on this week's episode of Booksmart. Until next time, happy reading.